We are continuing today in our sermon series on prayer. And we're going to slightly and quickly recap what we talked about last week, and then we're going to step in to what we're talking about this week, all right? So last week, for those of you who uh, either have my uh, type of memory or who weren't here, we discussed this concept. We talked about the fact that oftentimes within the uh, evangelical church that we're in, uh, churches in general in the U.S., tend to focus on prayer for one of two reasons, either to get something you want, right? And so those can be really good things or even really silly things sometimes, right? And so we can pray to uh, uh, have wisdom, and that's a good thing to pray for. But we can also pray for a Mercedes, which is perhaps not the main reason we should be praying, right? Uh, people oftentimes focus on prayer as a means to get things that they think they're supposed to have or that they want, right? The other one is to pray as a means to change the way that we see the world around us and become more and more Christ-like, right? And so oftentimes people will argue that prayer's main focus is to become more and more aligned with the will of God, right? But then we see this weird thing where Jesus spent a whole bunch of time praying but didn't need either of those things. He was perfectly aligned with his Father's will. He came to do the will of the Father and nothing else. He and the Father are one, so he didn't need to pray to learn the will of the Lord. He knew it. And he didn't need to pray to get things because this is a guy who can literally unmake creation with a thought and create with his own will. He can do whatever he wants by his own will and his own power. And so if he needs something, he doesn't need to say, Lord, please give it to me. If he needs a dollar, he can say, go pull a fish out of the ocean. There will be a dollar in it. You'll be fine. He literally did that once. It wasn't the ocean. It was a sea. But still, my point is valid, okay? If he needs food, he can create food. If he wants the winds and the waves to stop moving, the winds and the waves will stop moving. So the main underneath function of why we pray probably isn't tied to us getting things or us changing. It's about something else. It's about God himself. And it is an act of worship towards him. It is a way to show love and affection and attention. And it is a way for us to enjoy our relationship with him. Right? And so we are not the focus. The things that we want are not the focus. He is the focus, right? While we talked about this last week, one of the things that we also discussed was the fact that Jesus didn't just pray a little bit. He made a habit of praying a lot. And so he would go and spend time alone and pray. He would go and pray with his disciples alone. He would go off into the wilderness and be away from crowds of people and pray. He would get up early in the morning and pray. He would sometimes stay up all night praying. He prayed a lot. And he loved his relationship with his father, right? And in one of those times, whenever he was praying by himself, in Luke chapter 1, we read this. We read that uh, in Luke chapter... 11 verse 1 it says now jesus was praying in a certain place so jesus again off praying somewhere and his disciples are with him oh slide change error and he says lord his disciples come to him and say lord teach us to pray as john taught his disciples so jesus in his habit of prayer is praying and his disciples see him praying and his disciples want to be like him so they want to learn to pray in the way that they are supposed to pray in the way that he teaches them to pray so they as his disciples go to him and ask Lord, we see you praying. How should we pray? And Jesus responds to them. And we probably, if you've been around the church for any extended period of time, 
basically know Jesus' response, right? And the first line goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so Jesus, whenever he is teaching his disciples how they should pray, begins with Father in heaven, make your name holy. So, things that we can start to pull from this. There are things that we, as followers of Christ, as we are praying, that we can recognize we should probably do whenever we are praying. And the first one is this. The first one is this. We should recognize who we are speaking to. So, fun story. Who here remembers the band 98 Degrees? I use the term band lightly. Okay. Thank you. Did you know that one of the founding members of 98 Degrees is from Canton, Ohio? Yeah. Yeah, right? Uh, something Thompson, I think. I don't know their names. Okay. Yeah. One of the guys who sang in a high-pitched voice. Yeah. All right. Right? All right. So, fun story. I... Uh, used to run around with a buddy who worked at a local radio station quite often. And this guy, he's now a regular DJ on one of the local stations. But whenever we were knowing each other, he was like a guy who would fill in slots whenever people weren't there. And his main job at the radio station was to drive around in the big old van, the big old panel van. Uh, It's like a box truck, but the box, just all of the sides are LED signs. All right, So he would just drive around with this giant vehicle to all of their events and whatnot. And I... I'm not going to say which radio station because it'll become way too easy to start picking out who I'm talking about. But some of you are like I know it. All right. (laughs) One time they were having an event uh, at Old Borders Bookstore. And the guy from 98 Degrees was there either to sign an album or a memoir or something. And he was doing like a little acoustic set in Borders' old like cafe place, right? And I, if you don't know anything about my history, 98 Degrees is not one of the bands that I frequented or cared about very much. Uh, It was not my style, perhaps. So I didn't know anything about this band. I knew some of their songs because all I had was radio back then. But I didn't really care, right? So I pull up, and my buddy is standing outside by his van, which is panels parked there. And he's hanging out and talking, and I'm sitting down talking to him. And we start having a conversation about the types of music we actually like. And I'm walking through the bands that I like, which were amazing. Things like every grunge band you can think of besides Nirvana, because I have bad taste. Uh, my enjoyment of Creed, sorry. All right. Actually, we probably weren't even talking about Creed at this point. It was earlier. But things like this, right? We were discussing the types of bands I enjoy. And we were discussing types of bands I don't enjoy. And my disdain for boy bands became very uh, uh, familiar. And as we're having this conversation about how much I hate boy bands and think 98 Degrees is stupid, a man walked up and was hanging out and talking with us about it. And we were having a good conversation back and forth. And then he, after about 10 minutes of talking, he said, hey, it was nice to meet you. He turned around and walked away. And my buddy just started laughing at me very heavily. And I said, why are you laughing? And he's like, so that's the singer from 98 Degrees. <laughs> I was sitting there having a conversation with him about how much I hated his music, and he was nice and polite to me for the entire time, and then walked away. Yeah. Sometimes it's worth knowing who you're speaking to. (laughs) 
Whenever you know who you're talking to, it does affect the way that you speak sometimes, right? Uh, we should never lie when we're talking to someone, so it would not have been right for me to look at this guy and be like, oh, I love your music. Tell me everything. Can I have 14 signed things? Because I hear eBay's going to be popular in a few years. Like, that would not have been cool. But I might have been slightly more humble in my recognition that this man had accomplished something with his life that I will likely never do. Uh, and the fact that he is at the top of his game in what he's doing, right? I probably would have been nicer and not as much of a jerk if I had recognized who I was speaking to. You unconsciously do the same thing. Everyone in this room does. I don't care how much you think you don't have a filter. I don't care how much you think you don't have a filter. You do it, okay? <laughs> Person at the table in the back that's invisible. All right? You do it. It happens to me on a daily basis. You can see this happen whenever we're talking to people because I'll be having a normal conversation with someone downtown. I'll be talking to someone in a coffee shop or a bar or any place. And someone will wander up and say, hey, Pastor Chris. And the people that are around me, their demeanor changes immediately. The way they talk is super different. Uh, sometimes it goes to they actually start to pour out more real things. And sometimes it goes to, a, I didn't know you were right? Just ignore, I was just joking with you. I was just kidding everything I said before, right? I've had people fake bow to me on accident before. Like, oh, your pastor, pleased to meet you. <laughs> I'm like, whatever, I appreciate it, okay. No. The way that we're talking to people, and whenever we recognize or identify who we're speaking to, it changes the way that we communicate with them and respond to them, right? This would likely become more apparent whenever we're talking to people who have actual authority over us, right? Could you imagine if you're having the kind of conversation I had with the dude with 98 degrees, but it wasn't the dude with 98 degrees, it was like the guy who owns your company? Oh, I hate this company, it's stupid, it's dumb. Uh, who is that CEO of the company you work for? What if it's someone who actually has life and death authority over you? Whenever we recognize the positions of the people that we're speaking to, it changes the way that we interact and communicate with them. Right? Did I lose this? No, it's there. Okay. Now, those were all funny and silly examples. But have you noticed that sometimes we do the same thing with God when we're praying we forget who we're speaking to we can be presumptuous we can assume that what we want matters more than what he wants we can presume that we know best right one of the easiest examples of this is whenever we uh, start telling God that if he doesn't do something he's showing himself to not be good or holy or right you better give me that chinchilla that I want, or else you just aren't a good God. I don't know why I picked chinchilla as my example. I'm sorry. I have no idea. It just sort of popped out right there, right? You better give me what I want, or else. Sometimes we forget ourselves when we're speaking to our Creator, and we just walk up, and we can complain about how we dislike the stuff that He's created, or we dislike His people, or we dislike the things that He loves, could you imagine if you walked up to a priceless work of art and you were just staying there and there was a guy next to you and you're just like, you know what, that thing? Mm. 
feel like my four-year-old could make it. It's dumb. It's worthless. Why does it even matter, right? Oh, you spent years of your life pouring into that? Whoever, artist? That guy's stupid, right? Then you find out the person next to you is the artist, right? Yeah, what do you think you're doing whenever you are pouring out how much you dislike or hate or are annoyed with the people around you to the one who created them, the one who loves them, the one who didn't just create them but is currently sustaining them and they exist by his will alone. He loves them enough that he has them (laughs) existing still. And you're saying, that guy's stupid. I could have done a better job making that person. Jesus starts out the prayer with our Father, right? And no, this word does not mean Daddy. You've probably heard that said before, right? Has anyone ever heard people say, whenever Jesus says that, he's speaking in a, in a very uh, simple and easy way that a child would speak to their father. Have you guys heard that said before? I've heard people say this, and then therefore, every time they ever prayed, they actually would take on that baby voice and say, Daddy, anytime they pray to Jesus. It's not actually what's being said. The word that's used there is the word that is used in that culture for any child's parent or father, uh, regardless of the person's age. So someone could be 74 years old speaking to their 94-year-old father, and this is the same word that's used. The closest equivalent we have that I've noticed in English within our cultural context is probably just dad. It denotes a role, it denotes a relationship, and it denotes some level of authority, generally, right? And deference. It's not about the childness of the one speaking. It's about the role of the one being spoken to. This becomes even more clear whenever you look into their culture and you realize that to bring honor to your father and your mother is one of the things that you are called to do by your God. You are to honor them in everything. To the point that your earthly fathers, at the time this was written, dishonoring them was one of the things that could have you be killed. It's talking about a relationship, yes, but it's recognizing who is in charge in that relationship and who is supposed to be bringing honor to whom, right? So when you are praying to your Lord, remember who he is. Remember who he is. He is your holy father, and he has a relationship with you. He has adopted you into his family. He has made you an heir of his according to his promise. But he's still Lord. He's the one in charge, right? So whenever we go and ask anything in his name, we need to remember who matters most and whose opinion matters most, right? He matters. And if we recognize this, we will likely change the way we pray. If I recognize that Jesus is Lord and the Father is above all and the Father is my Father, Father, you are my Father. If I recognize this, I'm probably less likely to walk up to my Father and ask him blatantly for things that I know are outside of his will. Has anyone here ever prayed for something you blatantly knew was outside of God's will? Lord, I know you say don't... What's an easy one? Lord, I know you say don't sleep with people outside of marriage, but man, I just really hope I can get with that person. Lord, I know you say I shouldn't covet, but I super want that thing. I need it. Give it to me. I'll be super unhappy if I don't have it. Lord, I know you say I shouldn't lie, but please don't allow anyone to find out the thing I just said and just how wrong it is and how much it doesn't proclaim who 
I actually am as a person. Y'all ever done that sort of thing before? Yeah? If we recognize who we're speaking to, (laughs) those sort of prayers will go away. If my child walks up to me and asks me if they can stick a finger in an electric socket, and I tell them no, and they say, I'm going to do it anyway, and they go to, and please note, I know different styles of parenting and whatnot, but the only thing that I'm willing to spank my kids for uh, in an actual way are things that could cause them permanent physical harm. Uh, So we'll use that kind of punishment as a tool whenever it's keeping a child from killing themselves, right? Otherwise, we try to use different forms of punishment uh, or discipline. I actually don't even like the word punishment. Um, but if she asks me four times and I tell her no, 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 and then she asks me again, then she tries to stick a screwdriver in there and she gets a paddling and then she eventually will stop asking me for it <laughs> because she'll realize that I, as her dad, have told her no, she's not allowed to do that thing. And though she may understand why I've said it, she may get the fact that I'm doing it for her own good. Eventually, we'll stop asking for things that we know are outside of his will. Because we know him, and we have a relationship with him, and he's taught us these things over and over again. We recognize who he is. But then something else kicks into place. Not just who he is, but what is his priority. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or may your name be made holy. Ladies and gentlemen, whenever we discuss what God's purposes are on this planet, oftentimes we can, again, make them central to ourselves. We can talk about them and point them to ourselves and say, his purposes have to do with me and what I'm doing. I'm at the center of God's will. Oh, no, I'm not. (laughs) No, I'm not. We sometimes mistakenly assume what his purposes are, but his purpose has always remained the same, and that is this concept, to glorify himself. What does God do? He brings himself glory, right? And so whenever we are praying, we are to consider who we're speaking to and what his primary purpose is, to glorify his name. Whenever we start to recognize this, it starts to change a little bit about what we think about ourselves, right? Not that one. Sorry, skipping. Skipping ahead. So here's the deal. My... There we go. All right. God is glorious, right? He is absolutely and wholly glorious. And whenever we see his glory... Once we actually recognize just how good and glorious he is, you'll see that changes happen in people's hearts relatively often, right? But at one point last week, we were talking about the fact that in the book of John, Jesus proclaims many things, but he also only prays four times, right? So in the whole book of John, we only see Jesus praying four times, right? And one of those times, he blesses the bread he's about to break up. And so Jesus pronounces a blessing or prayer over him. Father, bless this food, right? One time, 
Jesus is speaking to people uh, about Lazarus, who he's about to resurrect, and he starts praying, and he literally says at the beginning, Lord, I pray that you would allow these people to know your will. Not that I don't know it, and not that I need you to recognize what I'm doing here, because you know what I'm doing, and you're here all the time. I'm praying it not for your sake, but for the sake of the people around me. So Jesus points out the fact that things he says, and whenever he's praying, whenever he prays uh, publicly, uh, he's doing it for the sake of those around him. God already knows exactly what he wants to do. And then he prays the longest prayer in the Bible of Jesus uh, in John 17. The longest time whenever Jesus is praying in Scripture. And that's whenever he prays for you. We're going to toss that one out in a couple weeks. But then there's one other prayer that he prays. At the end of this conversation, he's having with people about the nature of the Father. And he's speaking about the Father and his purposes. And then at the very end, he tosses out a one-line prayer. And he says, Father, glorify your name. And if you want to know how much that is emphasized, the Father speaks from heaven directly afterwards and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Father, glorify your name. Oh, I am, and I will. Don't you worry about it. If you want to know what God's purpose is, it's to glorify his own name. So that, if you recognize God's purposes are not about you, will likely change the way you pray as well, right? You will at times still ask for stuff, right? Jesus did, but he also already knew the Father's will, so he knew what God was going to do. He still prayed for something else, but then he said, you know what? Not really, though. I want what you want. If you recognize God's name being glorified is his primary purpose, you'll probably start changing the things you're praying about. It won't be about, can I have five more dollars, please? It won't be about... Can I get a pretty car that I'd really like? It'll be about, Lord, can you please make your name great? And if me having five more dollars will help your name be great, may I have it. If it won't, keep it away. Let's look at some of the times we've seen God in his glory show up and what our responses have been. We're going to pick one out besides this. We're going to talk about Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, Isaiah is praying before his God, and he sees a vision of his God. And it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Literally, he is sitting, and he has this vision of God sitting in the temple and sitting in heaven, and his glory just manifesting around. And he sees it, and his response is super epic. And above him stood, so more, so I'm sorry, the glory isn't done yet. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he covered, and with two he flew. Fun story. Do you guys want a quick Bible fact real quick here? You ready for a euphemism fact? Feet and covering the feet were a euphemism for genitalia. So they had two covering their face and two covering other areas, in case you were wondering. It wasn't all about the feet. It was about actually... Uh, not being shamed. Check. Anywho. So, fun story, fun fact. If you ever see just like two angels with like their feet covered, it didn't get the reference. Anywho. And these angels are calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Right? 
And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And if you remember looking back into the Old Testament, one of the manifestations of the glory of the Lord coming upon the temple and the tabernacle itself was a holy smoke and flame and fire would fill the place and just show up. And it says God would tabernacle himself there, right? So this is whenever the glory is manifesting itself around Isaiah. And I said, woe to me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When he recognizes who he is speaking to and looking at, he is literally undone. And his main proclamation is, woe is me. Lord, I am lost. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with long tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So he sees the righteousness and the goodness and the glory of God, and he is undone. And then God sends one of his messengers to proclaim this word of repentance over him. That you have been cleaned, your guilt has been atoned for, you are okay. Stop freaking out a little bit, all right? Oh, settle down. Listen, right? And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, Lord, send me. So Isaiah saw the glory of God. It broke him to his core, and he recognized just who he is in relation to that, and he realized his undoneness. And God took away or swept away his guilt and swept away his unholiness, and God gave him a mission and said, who will go for us? And Isaiah's response was, obviously, me, I'm here, I'll go. What do you want me to say? Here I am, Lord, send me. See, Isaiah caught a little bit of a glimpse as to who God is and what he wants to see happen. And Isaiah, realizing who God is and what he is doing, then changed his own attitude. He was humbled to his core. His identity was likely shattered a little bit. The woe is me, I am lost or undone is kind of telling here. Have you guys ever felt that way? I am just lost. And then the restoration of God and the calling for him to listen and obey and move forward on what God is doing is Isaiah's response. Isaiah was then willing to dedicate his life to his God's glory, not to his own. Other things. Psalm 115.1, we see one of the wonderful psalms that are written that proclaim who God is and what he's done and the goodness of who he is. And I love this verse. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. When proclaiming and praying and pouring out and worshiping the Lord, it's not about us. It's not about our glory and our goodness. It's about him. Guys, if Jesus will be better glorified by city church never being any bigger than this, or honestly, by disbanding and going away, what should we want to happen? If Jesus would be better glorified if I were mute, and perhaps that's actually possibly the case, all right? 
if Jesus were better glorified by me never being able to speak his words physically again, even though I obviously like talking, I don't want that. I want what he wants. It is not about our glory. Everything we do is not about us. It's about his glory. This is one of the reasons why we appreciate working with other congregations that are outside of our theological background, why we appreciate working with other bodies of believers around us, why we enjoy being able to come together with believers who are different than us, because we know we, in the grand scheme of things, don't matter. We don't matter. We're not the purpose, right? Our goal is not to grow City Church. Our goal is to glorify our Father. And so as God uses those churches to proclaim his word and to build himself up, he is being glorified. So our purpose is to see them do what they're doing well. This is why we don't try to steal people from other churches, guys, because those churches are called to glorify God too. Make sense? Yeah. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory check out this one in 1 Chronicles 16, 29 through 30. And actually the whole section of 1 Chronicles 16, that whole verse section, that's all about people proclaiming God and his gloriousness. And this says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Glory, bring, ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. And so recognize who he is and then bring forth things accordingly. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship him in the splendor of his holiness. Guys, our worship, our praise, the reason why we pray, the reason why we live, the reason why we function, all of this is a response to God and his glory. And so as you pray, Remember who he is and remember what he's doing, right? Father, glorify your name. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Last week I issued you a challenge. As you go throughout the week, take a set period of time, about 10 minutes, and simply recognize the fact that you are to be praying not to get something and not to change you, but just to worship your Father, right? Do it again this week, but this time, for the first two minutes or so, take a moment and remember who it is you are communicating with and just how good and how holy and how glorious and how matchless he is and how matchless his name is. Remember who he is, right? Remember it. And then, remember what his purpose is. And that his purpose is greater than yours. And that his purpose matters more than yours. Think upon who he is. And then, prayerfully worship him because of it. That's my takeaway for you this week. Now we know Jesus is glorious. We know he is good. We know he is holy. We know that his name is matchless. (sighs) 
we know that everything he has ever done pointed to the person of Jesus. Sometimes I've had people come to me and speak to me and ask, why would God allow the world to come into place? Why would he create the world? And then why would he allow it to break? Why? Why didn't he just clockwork make everything perfect? The answer to that is because it doesn't glorify him as much as him being able to demonstrate his goodness and his loveness and his willingness to repair that which is broken and against him. You see, everything points forward to Jesus and who he is and what he did for you and for me. Father, glorify your name. Father, do your will was Jesus' cry. And Jesus glorified his name and the Father glorified his name and the Father did his will in allowing the Son to be crucified on your behalf. Do you realize that? We look at the cross as a symbol of shame sometimes because that's what it was supposed to be. To the Roman authorities, the cross was a symbol of shame. It was the way that you killed people who are not worthy of a more humane type of execution. You just let them lie. And this symbol of shame is the source and symbol of all of the hope and glory in the world. It proclaims God and his personality perfectly. His sacrifice proclaims him perfectly. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we see this call out to people to throw off everything that hinders and entangles them and to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, right? And then it says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, who scorned its shame, and who sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, the cross glorifies Jesus. The cross glorifies the Father. God's sacrifice on your behalf does glorify his name. And it does demonstrate his true love for you. It does demonstrate his faithfulness to you and the rest of his creation. It does demonstrate his goodness and his holiness. But even the cross is not about you. It's about your father. It proclaims him. And when you see what he has done, may your response be like that of Isaiah's. May you see your own brokenness, your own sinfulness and need. May you see that God is good and holy and great. May you realize that God has offered you full atonement for your sin and full covering for everything you've ever done against him. And may your response be, Lord, may I do your will.